while I turn my microphone back on. I'm learning from Pastor Jeremy, right? When to turn your mic on and off. But as the children are heading out, um, it is now officially Christmas season. And that makes me so happy because I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite. Anybody else? Favorite, favorite season? Favorite holiday? Christmas? Yes. It's the best. Uh, which, um, for many of you out there, Christmas means a couple of different things. Um, for, for many of you, it's decorating. Okay? Anybody leave their decorations up all year? Anybody? No? Some of you have been decorating since uh, probably Halloween, right? Take Halloween decorations down. Christmas decorations start going up. Um, uh, some of you, it may mean... Hallmark movies. Anybody? Hallmark movies? Notice it's all ladies, okay? Um, we, we were talking about this in youth group, okay? Uh, and it was very divided in youth group last week uh, about Hallmark movies, right? Because they all in the same. Um, you know, we, we actually were at my in-laws for Thanksgiving uh, this past week. And of course, Thanksgiving night, Hallmark movie comes on, Christmas Hallmark movie, right? And they're all the same. Like, it's like some lady who loves Christmas or like Santa Claus's daughter or something like that. And she comes to earth and, you know, falls in love and then breaks up and then somehow gets the Christmas spirit back, right? And then they come back together, right? So we've all, no, my father-in-law fell asleep and then woke up at the end. I was like, hey, you didn't miss anything. You know exactly what's going on in this Hallmark movie. Clearly, uh, in youth group, it was divided, uh, guys versus girls, whether we liked Hallmark movies. I'm sad Quinn's not here. Uh, he told me he would rather wash toilets than watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, um, and Amy is holding him to that. Um, he is going to wash the toilets while she is watching a Hallmark movie. But hopefully, uh, we all, as church attenders understand, okay, the spirit of Christmas, right? We all love, we watch these movies, what, you know, sing the songs, it's on the radio, and there's a spirit of Christmas, right? Hopefully we understand the spirit of Christmas is not about, you know, presents or Santa Claus or falling in love, right? Um, and really, the spirit of Christmas is not about even family and getting together. and enjoy. Those are all wonderful things, right? We enjoy it. I love Christmas, so I love all of those things. Love lights, especially when you got little kids and you take them, you know, on a light show, you either drive through or on a hayride or whatever. They're awesome, okay? I love those things. Um, don't love Hallmark Christmas movies, but love all those other parts of Christmas. Um, but we really, as, as Christians, hopefully we understand that the spirit of Christmas, that's really not what, what it's about, right? And so as we go into Christmas season, I want to refresh our memories, right? What is the spirit of Christmas? Uh, so go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to park. Uh, I will be jumping around a lot. So if you're really fast or you're on your phone with the Bible, you can keep up with it. But I'm going to be jumping around a lot. Before we get to 2 Corinthians 8, uh, I want to point out that really this whole idea of the spirit of Christmas um, didn't start, you know, in Matthew or Luke or wherever you read the Christmas story, you got to go all the way back like we did in teen Sunday school this morning to the book of Genesis, right? Um, in Genesis 3.15, when God is pronouncing a curse on you know, Adam and Eve on the earth and on the serpent specifically, he says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. Right? So even from the beginning in Genesis, there is this promise 
the seed of the woman is going to come, and this seed of the woman is going to save the world. And that's what everyone in the Old Testament was looking for, right? And as you read through, and I encourage you to do this sometime, through the book of Genesis, like straight through all the gory details, it's great, okay? Um, And you get to see how messed up humanity was even from the very beginning, right? Sin has a way of doing that. But as you read it, you know, Genesis from cover to cover, not just picking out the stories we know so well, from cover to cover, you see this trend of God is showing us we need a Savior, right? Humanity was violent, and so God sent a flood, but He saved a handful, right? Uh, Humanity was going to destroy themselves as they're building the Tower of Babel and totally rebel against God, but He saved us by spreading them apart. And then finally, He chose a family and got more specific in this promise of the seed. And He told Abraham, from your descendants, the whole earth would be blessed. And we get to the New Testament, and we finally get our traditional Christmas story that we all know and we see celebrated at, at Christmas time with the nativity scene and all those things. But look there in 2 Corinthians 8, where we see really in a very short verse the spirit of Christmas. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see in there the, the, the gospel, right? Because that's the spirit of Christmas, is the gospel. You see Jesus, who is rich, becoming poor, so that we could be rich, right? That's how you know Paul was a Baptist. He had a three-point outline in one verse, right? Um, he was rich, he became poor, so we could be rich. And that's, that's really the three points that we're going to look at today, those three points, the spirit of Christmas and what it's all about. So there, the first point, okay, he was rich. Um, Dean and I were talking, um, I think it was last week, uh, we, were, we were talking about, you know, rich people and, and all of that, and he brought up, you know, how many millionaires there are in the United States, which I actually looked it up after that conversation. Um, according to a 2017 report by Spectrum Group, Spectrum Group, As of the end of 2016, there were 10.8 million millionaires in the United States. Okay, 10.8 million millionaires. Okay, in the United States. But if you want to go a step further, when we think of the ultra rich, okay, the billionaires, right? It's reported 540 billionaires in the United States. 540 billionaires in the United, our country, right? Four of the top five billionaires worldwide are Americans, right? Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, I think that's how you say his name, of Amazon, and Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, okay? Um, Which actually I saw yesterday, Jeff Bezos, uh, just on Friday, made like $2.5 billion on Black Friday because of Amazon stock going up, right? So when we think of people being rich, we have this idea of the richness of, of people and, you know, we, we in America have this American dream and we want to be like that. We want to get money. We, you know, we invest and we have our big houses and we have riches, okay, are a big thing. And people are, you know, at Christmas, they want stuff, right? That's where everything is. But when we think of Jesus being rich, even all 540 of these billionaires in the United States put all their money together and it is nothing compared to what Jesus has. Um, just real quick, I want to run through a couple of things. 
Psalm 50, verse 10, we quote this all the time. Uh, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? So when we think of God can meet our needs, well, He can because He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? He created the universe, so the whole universe is His. Um, John 1.3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right? So all of this money, even though it's in these billionaires' pockets, or in their bank accounts, or wherever they keep it, um, it's all still God's. Right? And so when we, we think of stewardship you know, and the money that we have, really all of that is God's. So Jesus was, was rich, is rich. He's got all of these things. All the money, all the animals, the whole universe is His right? But that's really not the biggest part of Jesus's riches. Because when you think of Jesus being rich, I want you guys to think of the spiritual riches that Jesus has. You can go anywhere in the Bible and you see the spiritual riches that that God has, that Jesus has. Um, I told you I was going to run through some real quick. Uh, and, and there's a lot here, okay? So I'm just going to go rapid fire at some of the spiritual riches that Christ owns, that He has possession of. Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. John 17.5, And now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. Think of that Jesus praying to God, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Colossians 1, 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The verse we, we quote and was um, used in Handel's Messiah, Isaiah 9, 6. For to, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Philippians 2. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we think of these riches, right? In one verse there in 2 Corinthians, it just says, He was rich. But we can go through and this barely scratches the surface of the riches that that Jesus had, right? And to understand the greatness of the Christmas story... We have to start there. Jesus is God, right? He's pre-existent. That's what that says there, that verse in John, right? So before the world existed, Jesus was there with God, had all the glory of God. And when Jesus created the universe, right? He had to create time and space within which He could create the universe that we know, right? And then he created all of these things, and he, he owns it. It's all his. And so that glory, that, that power, right? You put all the most powerful men in the world, all the, the most wealthy in the world, all the, the you know, most influential in the world, you put them all together, and it's nothing compared to Jesus, right? So that's where this idea of Christmas, the Christmas story starts. 
is with Jesus being rich, the God of the universe, the King of the world. And He has all of these riches, physical and spiritual, but He became poor, right? He was rich, but He became, became poor. That's, that's the story that we, you know, we celebrate of Him becoming a baby, um, I said before, you know, he, he, he was the one that created time and space and then in time and space created, you know, our physical universe. And now he, the creator of it, is stepping down into this universe that he created for himself. Um, there in, in John 1, he says, the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, I can just think of, of John as he's, he's thinking back. He's writing this, the book of John, and he's thinking back of, of his time with, with Jesus. And he's thinking, wow, Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, actually became flesh. He, he became like us right, so that, so that we could know him. And that's, that's what happened at Christmas. Um, I love that in 2 Corinthians it says he became poor because with humans, right, a lot of times we can blame it on our circumstances, right? Something happened, there's a car crash and my car got totaled, you know, I got sick and so I'm in the hospital and so I have to pay out all these bills, right? And now something happened and something made me poor, right? I, I lost all my money because of these unfortunate events. But Jesus, it wasn't, you know, an unfortunate event, right? It wasn't God the Father standing over him saying, Son, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. No, it's he chose to do this, right? He loved us and he wanted to become poor for us. He, he became, he did this to himself because he loved us. He became that, that baby for us. Philippians, I, I read that passage earlier. In Philippians 2, when, when Paul is giving this example of Jesus and his humility and all the things he went through. In Philippians 2, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Right? So he did this. He emptied himself. Right? It's this idea of you, know, you take a cup and you pour it out and it's, it's emptying. And that's what Jesus did of himself. He had all of this glory, all of this power, all of these riches, and he emptied himself. Right? He laid it aside temporarily so that he could come in human form. And so instead of this powerful God of the universe, creator with all the riches, the king with a crown and a scepter coming on a sword coming with a sword to conquer the earth. No, we see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Think about that for a second, right? Um, which baby illustrations are, you know, very vivid to me with the baby that we have in our house. Um, not much of a baby anymore because she's walking. But you, you, those of you that, you, you know, you've got a newborn baby, you see it, right? Grandmas, when you're holding your, your, your little grandchild, and you think of swaddling the baby, okay, we've seen that. Nurses in the hospital really good at it, and I'm not at all, right? So they make those special blankets where you can swaddle a baby. But what are you doing? You're, you're constricting them, right? You hold their arms in, hold their legs in so they feel comfortable, but they're, they're not moving around, right? They don't, they don't kick, they don't scream. No, they're constricted, right? You got the blanket tightly wrapped around them. 
And that's that picture we see of Jesus. The first picture of Him as a human is the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, right? We're not even going to get into the whole fact that He wasn't in a house, He was in a barn, but He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The God who created the universe is there wrapped up, constricted by a blanket. I mean, think of that. How many times in Scripture did Jesus allow Himself to be constricted, right? He, he allowed Himself, right, when He became a baby, to be constricted to human form, first of all. And then He allowed Himself to be constricted by that blanket. And then as He got older, He obeyed His parents, right? And then as He got older, eventually He was constricted. He allowed Himself to be led away in chains, and nailed to a cross. All of these things, Jesus had the power. He was God. He was creator of the universe, but he became poor, right? He allowed himself to be constricted like that little baby. And you think of how helpless a baby is, right? Your job as a parent in the first couple of months is simply to keep the baby alive, right? And that was Jesus, helpless. Even though he created the universe, he created Mary, he created the barn, he created those animals, he, everything was his, he owned it all, but he allowed himself to be that constricted little baby. He became poor, right? That's the Christmas story. But the real spirit of Christmas is not there in the barn with the baby lying in the manger. The real spirit of Christmas goes on in that verse in 2 Corinthians. He was rich. He became poor. Why? So we could be rich. So that we could be rich, right? The whole purpose of Christmas was what was going to happen years later on the cross. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent Jesus to become human so that He could die to take the penalty for our sins. Right? He allowed Himself to be constricted on the cross to die for our sins. That was the whole purpose. That's why He came. He didn't come to show us how to live. He didn't come to do miracles. He didn't come to do this stuff. He came to die for us. Right? Those things are good, and they, they do. He did show us how to live. He did do these miracles to prove that He was God, but the reason He came was to die for our sins. And maybe you're here today, and, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, right? You know the Christmas story. You might know these things, but I just want to remind you what 1 John 1, verse 9 says. If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So because of His death on the cross, 1 John explains very clearly in chapters 1 and 2 about that. Because of that, because what Jesus did on the cross, we can confess our sins, we can, we can repent of our sins, we can turn from them and accept Christ as our Savior. And then that means our sins are washed away but we receive the riches of Christ, right? He was rich, he became poor, so that we could be rich. So think about that. What, what are the riches we have in Christ? What are those riches? 
right? We think of all the things that happen at salvation, which if you do a study on that, it'll blow your mind, okay? We think of, yes, we're saved from our sins, we're going to go to heaven, that's awesome, right? But there's so many other things that go on at salvation, at that moment, right? We're baptized by the Spirit, right? We're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're transferred from the domain of darkness into the domain of light, of His beloved Son. And you can go on and on. But if you want to flip over to Ephesians 1, I want you guys to look at this and read it along with me. Ephesians chapter 1. One of the greatest things we get at salvation, at the moment of salvation, is we become an heir to all of the riches that Christ has. We become an heir. We get to inherit all of those same riches that Jesus has. We talked about, you know, the, the things that he has, how rich he is, all the spiritual blessings that he has. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to them, and he starts going through some of these blessings, right? Which this passage right here, I'm going to read the whole thing, verses 3 through 14. Um, but right here, this, I mean, could be a study on its own. It could be a sermon, probably multiple sermons on its own. But if you read that, as Paul is, is writing and he's praising God, here in Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for the adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He hath set forth in Christ." as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. You read through this, and it, you, know, you can mark how many times you see in Him in there. I encourage you to do that sometime. Go through and mark in Him, in Him, in Him. We have all of these things, right? But there at the end, right, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwelling in us is that promise of the inheritance that we have. And in that inheritance, we have all of these blessings, all of the things that Jesus had. So, so we go from being a total lost sinner on our way to hell with no hope of saving ourselves. It's another point in Genesis if you read through it. You know, there's no hope for us. We need a Savior. That's where we are. But because Jesus in His riches became poor, He became like us, right? We see that in, in Hebrews. He became our high priest, right? He became a high priest so that he, we could understand Him, He could understand us, and He can 
intercede on our behalf. So we have that in Him, but when we accept Him as Savior, we're not just, you know, this old servant in the corner of heaven. No, we're an heir. We're ruling and reigning with Christ. We have that inheritance. We become rich with the riches that Christ has because we have that inheritance. That's the spirit of Christmas, right? Not the, the riches of all the things under the tree, but the riches that we have in Christ because He became a little baby and decided that's how He was going to save us. He was going to do it that way. He was going to save us. He was going to die for us. He wasn't going to let us just go off and try and do it on our own because we would be hopeless. That's the spirit of Christmas. Some of our teenagers are, teenagers are starting to get to realize that, that I have a song for everything. Um, I'll just randomly start singing things. Um, and if there's not a song for it, I'll make one up, um, which is great because my daughter learned that. And so now my, I've got a three-year-old making up songs, which is dangerous, okay? Um, but at Christmas, there's a song for everything, right? I love singing the Christmas carols and all of these things. Songs wonderful, okay? There's a Christmas song that takes this idea and puts it perfectly into words for us. Um, it's a song, Good Christian Men Rejoice. And listen to this. I'm not going to sing it. But, but listen to the words. It says, Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news. Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and ass before Him bow, and He is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss. Joy, joy. Jesus Christ was born for this. He hath opened heaven's door, and man is blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. I love that. You see the gospel so perfectly in the words of this song, right? Jesus was born. He was born to save. And you don't need to fear death because of what he did, right? And there in that last verse, it's that call, first, that, that Jesus made to us and that we need to be extending to others, right? Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. So if you've not accepted the call of salvation, let me extend that to you now, right? If you've not accepted that call, Jesus came, though he was rich, became poor so that we could be rich, right? He's making that call to you to accept him as Savior, repent of your sins, trust in him as Savior. And if you've accepted that call, we now have the Great Commission to turn around and take that call to other people. This is a perfect time of year to do that because everybody's thinking about it. 
you know, people that, that don't go to church ever still know, you know, at least a little bit about the Christmas story. They see nativity scenes and stuff. They're thinking about it. And this is a perfect time to, to take that conversation that you can have with somebody standing in the store while they're Christmas shopping and turn it around to share the gospel. Because that's what the spirit of Christmas is, right? So when people are already celebrating it, they're already thinking about it, it's real easy to switch that around. And there's a call going out for people to accept Christ as Savior. So we can remember 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. So we can share that with others, the hope that we have. And it is my prayer that this Christmas season, we would all have those opportunities. And they're already there. We just need the boldness to take advantage of them. So would you pray that with me this season, that, that we as a church would take advantage have the boldness, the courage to turn those simple Christmas conversations around and share the gospel. And you can start with this verse here, 2 Corinthians 8-9. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the gospel. I thank you for being willing to give up your riches, to step into our world and take the form of a baby, to grow up as a human and die on the cross for our sins. God, I pray if anybody is here does not know you as their Savior, they would get that settled today. That they would repent of their sin, they would trust you as their Savior. And for all of us, this week, this month, throughout all of 2018, that we would be bold witnesses for you, that we would take advantage of any opportunity you place in our path, any chance we have to have a simple Christmas conversation that we would be able to turn that around and share the hope that we have in you. Pray that you'd give us courage to do that. You'd give us boldness. And that through us sharing the gospel, you would glorify yourself and that you would bring souls to you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.